Praise God. Thank you very much, musicians. And those on the platform, if you uh, brought your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Mark, chapter 16. Praise God. Book of Mark, uh, chapter 16. We're going to be reading verse 17, and then also uh, hold your finger on that and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 39 through to 40. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through to 40, and then Mark chapter 16, verse 17. I want to preach to you a sermon entitled, Speaking New Tongues. Uh, just uh, this week, we went to the doctor for my daughter, and uh, my wife wanted to get my daughter's ears checked because she felt as though she was hard of hearing when it came to following instructions. It felt as though she wasn't hearing, listening. And so she thought uh, we would uh, give her the benefit of the doubt and uh, have her ears checked. She's been uh, doing a lot of swimming lessons. She's a bit of a water baby, loves the water, uh, and maybe has some water trapped in her ears, maybe lodged in there, uh, causing her not to hear properly. We found out after the doctor examined her that her ears are fine and she just doesn't want to listen. <laughs> the doctor said something very powerful. He said the development of our speech is hinged on our ability to hear. One of the signs that hearing is impaired is discovered when, it's repeat, when the words are repeated from the person who thinks is hearing the right words. It's interesting that Jesus would say in those Gospels, to those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, there was something that was, that was being transmitted, that was not being heard, and as a result, spiritual deafness caused the people to not hear what Jesus Christ was trying to teach. When we think about this new tongue, the question I propose this morning is, are you hearing what God is saying? Because I want to look this morning at speaking in a new tongue. Because I believe that the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is going to be essential for us to experience a worldwide last days revival this is what I believe uh, Jesus has instructed us from the very Gospels. The book of Mark, chapter 16. Just one verse, the Bible says uh, uh, these words. And these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. And then you can skip down to 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through to 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid the speaking uh, to speak with tongues, let all things be done decently and in order. Let's focus this morning on the signs that follow. In the book Signs and Wonders written by uh, Paul Alexander, he describes why Pentecostalism is the fastest growing faith in all uh, of the world. 
He lists four reasons why this is very appealing to the generation today. The first being that most people respond to Pentecostalism because they have problems that need to be fixed. And this becomes a regular pattern that ultimately is observed through prayer uh, where people uh, would uplift their needs before God. Uh, They will also engage in corporate prayer where they will also uh, 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 recruit the help of other men and women, uh, brothers and sisters of the faith, uh, same faith, uh, that would pray for their specific need. Uh, And so here is this movement that is is, uh, ultimately uh, gaining momentum through prayer. The second reason why Pentecostalism is uh, the world's fastest growing faith uh, has to do uh, with the believing of the miraculous. That there's something about the Pentecostal faith uh, that puts faith uh, or puts feet to their faith. That ultimately when it comes to something uh, 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 being a reversal, being left in a hopeless uh, situation, uh, that the Pentecostal faith is one that doesn't uh, withdraw, that doesn't uh, step back, uh, uh, doesn't quit, but rather opposes that reality and believes and hopes for the miraculous. The second thing, uh, the third thing that he denotes ultimately has to do with the preaching that is focused on the healings in the Bible. That if you were to do your own study, the New Testament is laced with so much of the miraculous that Jesus Christ went into individual cities. He prayed for the sick. He raised the dead. He did the the demonstrable miracles by the power of God. And through that, ultimately, it's something that as scriptures teach, we are to appropriate today. And this is ultimately where the Pentecostal faith is engaged in. We want to see the supernatural at work today. The fourth is based on personal testimonies. It's not something that is passed down that ultimately you heard from someone, whether it be Chinese whispers or uh, something you heard uh, spoken from someone else. It is first account, first-hand accounts of what people witnessed as believers of Jesus Christ. Pastor Mitchell, uh, many times when praying for the sick, uh, he would make the comment uh, when he's uh, about to pray for someone that has a bad back uh, and, and, and uh, you know, he sits him down on the chair and you've seen this done before. Uh, he'll, uh, he'll sit him back and as he raises their feet, their feet will be in different uh, uh, lengths. And so he will call out to anyone who has never seen a miracle before. Come to the front and witness a miracle. Why? Because he understands uh, that in order for a person to maintain their faith, uh, they need to have first-hand witness of the miraculous. Uh, and so this is something that ultimately uh, is, uh, is, uh, is uh, accredited to uh, the Pentecostal faith, that we believe uh, what the text says, uh, signs will follow. When Jesus Christ made this comment, uh, we took that on hand uh, and therefore we believe it uh, and we appropriate so that uh, the, uh, uh, the continuation of God's will will be done on this earth. Now, Jesus spoke on this subject, and this is what drives a believer to contend for the gifts. In Mark chapter 
16, verse 17, And these signs follow those who believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Now we're going to believe for the supernatural this morning. If all we're doing here at every service is just getting another history lesson, beloved, uh, we might as well just pack up uh, and leave because what we need is a visitation of the supernatural. Can anybody say amen? That this is more than just religion. This is more than just uh, doctrine. This is applying uh, uh, feet to our faith uh, so that God would be able to breathe upon us this morning uh, and we would be able to leave this place not the same way that we came in, uh, but ultimately having met personally uh, the very presence of God. This was Something that was clearly experienced, uh, not just with Jesus' ministry, but in the disciples uh, that he sent out. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says that the 70 uh, returned with joy, saying, uh, Lord, even the demons were subject uh, to us in your name. That it is something powerful about the believer than once being instructed by Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel, laying hands on the sick and seeing and believing that they will recover. Here is ultimately the report very early on in the ministry of Jesus Christ that not just him, but his disciples were seeing the miraculous. This carried on into the New Testament church where ultimately... The early Christians would recite uh, the foundational principles of their, uh, uh, in their early creeds in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Let me read that for you. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming into the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow, and those in heaven and those on earth and uh, of those under the earth, and uh, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, to the glory of God uh, the Father. What that speaks about is having complete dominion uh, in every area of your life, uh, that in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, demons must uh, flee. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, healing uh, must come to pass. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, chains can be broken uh, because there is no greater name uh, that, that the name of Jesus Christ and for whoever believes in that name and appropriates that upon every circumstance of their life will experience a dimension of the supernatural. It was in the name of Jesus that the supernatural would be manifested. We're not here to try to explain who Jesus Christ was. We're here to demonstrate the power of Jesus, uh, of His death, burial, and resurrection, uh, and that by His stripes we are healed. Uh, it is every drop of blood that was shed uh, that has paid the price uh, for our sin uh, and has given us victory over sin and death. Can anybody say amen? Now I want you to think about this. 
Because here we are sitting here reading the Bible. But what's interesting about the Word of God is that for the first three to four hundred years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was no Bible. There was writings. There were things that ultimately they relied upon, but the Bible had not been canonized. And ultimately there were things of their faith that were, uh, uh, there was no order to at, the, at that time until ultimately uh, the canonization of the Bible, uh, uh, there, was, there was a lack of structure. But listen to me, uh, this did not prevent the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, this did not hinder the supernatural. This did not cause people to ultimately uh, shift or change the gospel, uh, but rather understand this, that it was eyewitnesses, first-hand eyewitnesses uh, that continue to accelerate the work of God. Uh, and we have what we have today uh, is what, uh, what God has preserved uh, so that you and I would be able to carry this on uh, into our generation uh, and touch every single life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to look secondly this morning at the speaking new tongues. There's a popular argument that circulates in regards to whether Jesus actually spoke in tongues. There's come a lot of resistance in regards to the fact whether the New Testament church should speak in tongues. Whether this was actually just uh, for a time in the Bible uh, that it happened and it caused an outbreak and that was it and that's where it stops. Just because it doesn't mention it in the Bible, whether Jesus prayed in tongues, doesn't mean he didn't. Think about ultimately the fact that Jesus would say in our text, these signs shall follow and ultimately leading to saying himself, they will speak in new tongue. Why would Jesus advocate something he didn't believe in. Consider with me when ultimately he is faced uh, with the cross. Uh, Jesus is at the garden. Uh, he's there with Peter, James, and John. Uh, he leaves them in one location uh, and he goes just further down and prays by himself. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he want his disciples to hear him pray? Again, the truth is, is Jesus wouldn't condone something he didn't believe in. We know Jesus would have spoke every language and understood every language. In our text, the word new is defined as that which is unaccustomed or unused, not new in time, recent, but new as to form or quality. It speaks of a different nature. And we know that this new tongue would ultimately carry the 
very presence of God. This would be ultimately how God would breathe upon His people. And they would be filled with a tongue that ultimately would separate them from every other tongue. This would be the heavenly language that ultimately would attract the attention of the non-believer. Jesus has a very interesting conversation with a man by the, uh, the name of Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verses 5 through to 8, the Bible says, Most assuredly I say, and this is Jesus saying this, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that, again, uh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell whether it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is that Jesus is speaking to a religious man by the name of Nicodemus, and as he is speaking, ultimately uses words that would be able to bring a reassurance of uh, the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. The Greek word for wind is the word uh, phenoma, which means spirit. The normal Greek word for wind is a word called animos, uh, and ultimately here is Jesus uh, speaking not of wind, uh, but rather the Spirit of God, then he goes further to say that the word for sound, which is normally in the Greek word used as equus, this would ultimately mean, refer to the sounds that things make. The word for sound is used as phone, which means or can be defined as a voice. So I want you to think about this for, me, for a moment, where here is Jesus speaking to a man that desperately needs to be born again, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, but then brings a reference to ultimately, as the Spirit blows where it wishes, you will hear the voice of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. Many Bible scholars believe Jesus was speaking about uh, speaking in tongues. If you don't believe me, do your own research. This was something that was believed and advocated by Jesus Christ. Now our New Testament church then goes on to say that this would be the gift of God. Paul spoke to the church in Rome in chapter 1, verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. In other words, Paul used God used Paul to be able to bring an impartation of the spiritual gift of God. In other words, they had the knowledge, they had the faith, but there was no spirit that was ultimately at work. They needed to make the connection. And Paul said, I have to impart into you something that has been imparted into me. And therefore we have a confirmation. gift of the Spirit. The word gift is the Greek word charismatos. 
which is where we get the word charisma. There's something unique about the spiritual charisma. Can everybody say amen? That when you begin to engage in the supernatural, it's not one that is kind of expressed in a way that demon leave right now, please. The approach isn't a begging approach. But the gift of the Spirit is ultimately one that carries a charisma that is ultimately able to command in the name of Jesus Christ to stand firm upon the, the very principles of God, the promises that God has spoken. And as you do that, ultimately, the Bible says, demons will flee, the sick would become healed, you would have a breakthrough in your life. Let me ask you this morning, have you got the spiritual charisma? Now, there are two types of the gift of the Spirit when it comes to expressing tongues. The first is the uh, tongues of prophecy. And this is ultimately where you will hear someone speak in tongues and then wait for the interpretation. In verse 38 and 30, uh, 40, uh, 39 and 40, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid the speaking with tongues, that all things be done decently and in order. Now, there are two types of tongues that the book of Corinthians in chapter 14 is speaking about. The first here is speaking about prophecy, where ultimately there will be an interpretation. This tongue edifies the church. And let me just say this. Tongues of prophecy are from the church for the church. This is not just for anyone to come in and begin to, uh, thus saith God, and prophesy, but rather it is for the edifying of the church. And yes, I do believe that many other churches, and we all make up the body of Christ, but here in this establishment, in this sanctuary, we are the body of Christ. And if there is something that needs to be taught to the church, it's going to come from the church for the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge, or by prophesying or by doctrine? I want you to think about what the Bible is saying here is ultimately there is a difference between tongues of prophecy and then tongues of worship. Again, tongues of prophecy is to edify the church. It is not to be spoken as an actual language. Nobody understands what you're saying when you speak in tongues. You're not supposed to go up to someone and say, That's weird. That doesn't make sense. And if a, a non-believer comes into the building and sees you do that, and you respond going, you know, what are you talking about? You're going to scare people away. 
And so when the tongues of prophecy, it is not like the Bible says, if I come unto you speaking, this is speaking to one another, not to God, you ultimately use your language that we all can understand. The second tongue is the tongue of worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, the Bible says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Again, bringing clarity to the two different types of tongue. When you praise and worship, you begin to speak in a heavenly language. You don't understand the spirit that is within you, that is of God, is going to now speak and is going to express the very issues that you cannot even express in your own language. And as you begin to speak this out, it brings edification to yourself. You are now connecting to God in a more intimate way. And this is ultimately the expression God breathes upon His people. This is something that ought to magnify the very presence of God. This is why sometimes you don't feel like singing a song. That's fine. You feel as though you can't keep harmony. Sing along in time. Not a problem. I will pardon your inability to know the lyrics or sing in the key. But when the song leader says or the pastor says, let's give God praise, this is your opportunity to participate. This is a war cry. You begin to give Him praise. You shout His name. You speak it out in your own language. But then also engage in the tongue of worship. So let's look thirdly and in closing at all things done in order. If I can be honest with you this morning, I think the church today isn't what it used to be in the New Testament. Can anybody say amen? And a lot of it has to do with the issue of order. I think as a people we've become so infatuated with order that as a result we've snuffed out the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not opposed order. I believe we need order. But how many know a little bit of chaos every so often is alright? That if you're going to sneeze in the church, that's okay. If you're going to say amen, not a problem. That it doesn't need to be something that ultimately uh, would snuff out the Spirit of God. The New Testament church was one that was, one could say, out of control, bursting with momentum. Peter's shadow healing the sick as he walked down the paths. Uh, handkerchiefs uh, would be prayed over uh, and be given to those that are sick uh, and would be healed. Uh, God was moving uh, in a supernatural dimension. Uh, and let's be honest, church, uh, not many churches today are seeing what the New Testament church was seeing in those days. Some churches have become so politically correct they don't preach on sin. They try not to offend. We apologize for Jesus Christ being so rude. 
Well, you know, when he said that, I mean, you know, he wasn't calling her a dog. I mean, it was just a, a figure of speech. It's like, no, no, he meant that. We don't challenge people to rise up, lift up your hand, repent of your sins, get saved, come down to the altar. Everything's in such order that ultimately the Spirit of God is snuffed out. I believe that the truth is, is that when the church, when the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinth church, things were genuinely out of control. That people were speaking in tongues, the pastor was trying to minister, people were worshipping and nothing could be done, nothing could be heard and therefore the Apostle Paul had to instruct, ultimately bring some order to your service. Again, our text, 39 through to 40, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid speak, uh, to, to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decent, uh, decently and in order. To clarify what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying prophesy, absolutely. Speak in tongues in times of worship, absolutely. Uh, but ultimately do it in a way that it is ordered. In other words, you don't have the right to begin to prophesy while I'm preaching. Because the Spirit is already at work. And so while I'm preaching, how then can you rise up? That's out of order. You don't have the right. The Spirit is already at work. If you're going to prophesy, wouldn't the Spirit know when to actually prop for you to prophesy? Wouldn't it do it in the appropriate time? And if you are going to prophesy, you ought to step into it contending for the interpretation. That God, if this is you, you want me to prophesy, I need the interpretation. I don't want to just speak out in tongues. I, I want you uh, to give me the interpretation so that it may be uh, heard and edify the church. This is not about you. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Therefore let him who speaks in tongues pray that he may interpret. This brings validity to the prophecy. This is something that we need in the church. Can anybody say amen? Our church needs to contend for the supernatural. Like I said earlier before, if all we're going to do is a history lesson and turn with me in your Bibles and let's learn a little bit more so we can actually grow spiritually fat, forget it. I want God to minister this morning. I want God to touch lives. I want Him to heal, to set free, to break the chains, whatever you are tormented with. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Are you free this morning? Well, you're in the right place if you need it. Because we're going to contend for God to move upon your behalf. So how do I receive the gift of speaking in tongues? The tragedy today is ultimately 
There is no hunger for the Spirit. There is no hunger for the supernatural. And if you genuinely want to be met with the Spirit of God, you need to begin to hunger for what God has for your life. Why are people uh, not being filled today uh, is because they're focused on so many other things. Uh, they are preoccupied in so many other areas. Uh, and when it even comes to being in church, they're not able to engage. Uh, and ultimately their flesh, uh, their carnal desires, their lower nature uh, takes uh, front seat. Uh, and God tries to speak. Uh, and God tries to bring revelation. Uh, and God tries to instruct. But you can't hear. Therefore, if you can't hear, you won't be able to speak. We have it easy today. You need money, you go down to Centrelink. You need someone to fix up your cuts and bruises, you go down to the hospital. We have everything, we lack nothing. Therefore, when it comes to a spiritual hunger... Well, I'm okay. I'm hashtag blessed. And so we come to church week after week. We have it here, but it's not here. And each time, yes, it's very, I mean, the pastor yelled at us for a bit, and then he, and then he, you know, and then he was nice, and then we had some food at the back, and then we left. And the aircon was nice. It was good to sit in the aircon. I ask you a question this morning. Are you, hunger, are you hungry for the spiritual gifts of God? You want to speak in tongues? You want to experience the supernatural? You have to hunger for that. Number two is you have to be willing to choose to welcome. I've heard it said before, well, you know, it just so, it feels like such an unnatural thing for me to do. That's because you're of the flesh, not of the spirit. Of course it's going to be unnatural. Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Of course you don't feel comfortable. It's not in you. It's not who you are. Left to your own devices, you are a sinful, carnal person that would ultimately step into all of eternity and be tormented by flames and the worm that does not. All these terrible things. And then God says, I want to breathe upon you. Well, I just don't feel comfortable. And so we resist, we hold back, and we miss out. Isn't it amazing at how God is a perfect gentleman? He's not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to push the door in and go, that's it, I'm coming in. There's a new sheriff in town. The Bible says he stands and he knocks. Would you let me in? And we're there, we're so full from, you know, oh, we've had KFC and we've had so many other things of the world and we're like, oh, there's not enough room, Lord. I'm so full. We cannot welcome the Spirit of God to move upon our lives, the unction. We need to be willing to choose to welcome. God, if this is of you, I want it. 
God, if you want to breathe on me, I am available. I'm here. I'm a vessel. Lord, fill me up with all that you've got. Number three has to be full cooperation. Surrenderance to God's perfect will. You know, as I think about the Corinth church, here is the Apostle Paul. He's hearing back to what's happening in that church and God is moving demonstrably. People are being saved by the absolute droves. And while this is transpiring, there's a great revival. And how many know revival is messy? Revival ultimately brings uh, uh, all types of people from different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, with all numbers of issues, uh, all numbers of uh, uh, you know, uh, characteristics, uh, and we're all supposed to just come into one building and get along. And of course, it's not easy, but something that unites us, and this is what I've seen many times, uh, when people aren't willing to surrender to the will of God, uh, there will always be conflict. When you aren't willing to fold your hand and say, I know I'm right, but I'm going to do what's better. I'm going to do what's right for the greater good. When someone is not willing to surrender, nothing gets sorted out. As a people of God, we're coming into the church surrounded by friends and family members, uh, people that love you, people that want uh, the best for you. Uh, and if you are willing to surrender, say, God, uh, I'm going to put aside my hatred, uh, my prejudice. I'm going to put aside my own uh, stereotypical views uh, of other people or even myself. God, I'm surrendering to you. God says, I'm going to breathe upon that congregation. How is it that a church that was confined to an upper room. Listen, they weren't having revival in a, in a matter of boldness. They were fearing for their lives. But the Bible says that God's Spirit breathed upon them. They were filled with a fire. They began to speak in other tongues. And the Bible says from that location, it wasn't a place of surrender. The, the Holy Ghost outpouring of the Spirit went in of the per, inside of the person and then began to spill over. That's what it is to be filled. Ultimately, the God wants to not just fill you to the brim, but so that it is flowing out of you. But are you willing to cooperate? Are you willing to surrender? I genuinely believe God, God's plans are yet to be fully accomplished. And He's waiting for people like us. He's waiting for you this morning. If you're willing to surrender, God will breathe upon you, change you from the inside out. You won't even recognize yourself. And that's a good thing. Because that's what we want. We're going to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.